This is an interview on Sunday, May 27th, 2022, with In the House of Mornings, Ben Iannuzzi by Nick Brickell. Now, Ben, tell me about getting your very first instrument. Sure. And uh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, so my first instrument, I guess it kind of depends on which instrument you want to talk about. So when I was growing up, uh, I come from a pretty like non-musical household, actually. I, the first instrument I ever owned was a saxophone, actually. I played a couple of different kinds of saxophones in the uh, school band. But in terms of like guitars, when I graduated from high school in 99, I got my first uh, Squire, you know, which, uh, you know, so many people uh, that I know kind of started on that instrument. So, uh, yeah, I got a, uh, an Alpine white Squire that kind of looked like uh, the one that Jimi Hendrix played, I think famously, I think at Woodstock or the Isle of Wight, one of those two shows, um, you know, like single coil. So like I was a huge metalhead even then, and it was not exactly the most ideal instrument, but it was definitely something to uh, to, to learn on. <clears throat> now, what kind of music education have you had from when you were younger in schools, private tutors or conservatories? When I was growing up, like I said, I, I played the uh, saxophone. And at that time, I mean, this is going back a really long time ago. Um, I was in like grade school. At that point, um, I knew how to read music. I could sight read. I could do all of that, new skills, things like that. But once I kind of got out of that, my formal music education kind of like died with that. I, I pretty much taught myself how to play the guitar. I'm a teacher by trade. That's kind of what I do during the day. Um, so I'm a pretty academic minded person. So I have like a weird kind of connection to how I learned how to play. I mean, like, whereas a lot of people, you know, like, you know, spin records and slow them down and learn how to play that way, or, you know, burn cassettes off the radio and, and kind of like learn how to play by ear. I was like the opposite. I, I kind of went right to, you know, what's music theory, you know, what, what are scales? How do you play in key? So in a really weird way, even to this day, I know a lot more about music than I can actually play with my hands. Like my brain knows more than my hands do. Because at this point, it's like, you know, I'm not exactly at, in the stage of life where I'm woodshedding all the time for eight hours a day. You know, I learned a lot in that academic sense. And then in terms of, you know, learning how to play with other people. I mean, I would say college is really where that sort of started. I really did not know what I was doing. I was very green. You know, when I was in college, I, I met people that were into a lot of the same music. Uh, so at that time, bands like Tool and the Melvins, and really the Melvins are that sort of band for me that kind of got me from mainstream music more into the underground sort of stuff. So this is, I'm trying to think of the year, this would be like 2002, 2003. So I learned a lot in those days of just kind of playing with other people and really not you know, knowing a lot, I guess you could say. And then once I, once I got into my, I'm a late bloomer. So once I got into my early thirties, that's when I really started taking music seriously. And that's when I formed Mountain God. So I went from, um, hobbyist is probably not a fair term. Um, but then again, I was really only doing it for fun. And then once I started that band, that's when I would really start calling myself more of a musician. What are your feelings on using a metronome? I used to despise them, <laughs> like unbelievably so. Um, and if you think about it, you know, at least when it comes to sludge metal and especially bands that like Mountain God were specifically influenced by, there's like that looseness. You're really kind of cueing into the drummer. It's all about feel. But interestingly enough, this band, you know, in this House of Mourning, which I, I started a couple of years ago, I have become much more of a fan of the metronome, you know, 
uh, be mostly because of the way we recorded the record. You know, I kind of came in with a lot of the songs like already done. And um, while I had people that I worked with and kind of putting the tracks together in terms of the recording process, we did use a click. So, so, so I have become uh, very much uh, connected to the idea of, of metronomes and stuff like that. And I think if you listen to the songs, there is that sort of early 90s, kind of like My Dying Bride feel to the, to the record, mm -hmm. which I don't know, I would sort of argue, with, especially the earlier records, it is kind of like inorganic. You know, I, I think a lot of the music that they sort of made at that time, um, you know, if you listen to the drums, the drums are a bit processed. And I would say that, like I said, you know, learning how to use the, uh, learning to use the metronome more, I think has been really beneficial. When it comes to your style of music, what are some of your favorite blogs to stay up to date on new music? I imagine places like No Clean Singing, Doomed and Stoned, as well as Invisible Oranges suit you well. Oh yeah, all, all those all those blogs are blogs that I use pretty regularly. Um, but you know, I'm not going to front. Um, there, I I've always been an outsider um, on the scene. Um, Brooklyn was where I kind of set my roots down with Mountain God, but I live in the suburbs. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I am not so up to date. I'm old. So it's like, I'm not so up to date with like new music. So in a lot of cases, those blogs are really, really important because whereas other people in bands, especially local bands, like know everybody, that was never me. Um, so all of the blogs that you mentioned are super important. I would say though, for me personally, um, JJ's blog, uh, The Obelisk is just, you know, I credit him and his blog as really being the kind of medium that got me into underground music. So the Melvins musically were that, but in terms of a blog, I, you have to give it to JJ. JJ has been doing this for so long. I've learned so much about the scene and so much more about music, especially European bands, you know, so I would have to definitely credit, credit him. Uh, I would also say too, um, you know, like Brooklyn Vegan, Invisible Oranges, um, you know, the, those, uh, those blogs and sort of like websites, those are definitely helpful in terms of, you know, learning about new bands and hearing tour dates and stuff like that. So like I said, I'm not going to front, I'm not going to claim that I'm like a regular, you know, reader, uh, you know, every single day. But um, when I do, those are usually the places that I'll go. Where were you at musically when you started to compose the music for In This House of Morning? Yeah, uh, a pretty bad place, actually. Again, I, I can't really talk about this band without talking, talking about Mountain God, my last band. So again, as I kind of had, had mentioned earlier, I'm from the suburbs. Mountain God was set established in really Brooklyn. For anybody that's lived in the greater New York area for a while, you know, Brooklyn was is one of those places that 10, 20 years ago, you could get in a car from where I live and be there in 35, 40 minutes. And as time has gone on with so many people moving there for different reasons, um, it got to the point where I would be done with my teaching day, my work day at three o'clock, and I would literally be in the car until 7 p.m. trying to get to practice. It's, it's really complicated because I have a lot of feelings on this topic. Um, I would say that was the thing that really made it very difficult to keep that band going. It kind of made music into more of a chore for me than anything else. So I stopped playing guitar. So that band kind of dissolved in 2017. I really didn't pick the guitar back up again until 2020. And I also just sort of got rid of social media because most of the social media stuff I did anyway had to do with, you know, the band. 
So I kind of went on hiatus for quite a while. And I had always liked Funeral Doom. Um, I, I always loved the heaviness of it and the sound of it. So right around the summer of 2020, so this is like pretty much on the heels of the really bad part of COVID. And again, as I said, you know, I'm a teacher by trade. So with all the anxiety sort of going into the school year and with all the general sort of anxiety that summer of knowing, oh, this winter is going to be pretty bad. It, it really churned up a lot of feelings and I picked the guitar back up, you know, and I tuned it down to drop a, like, you know, so many of those great, great bands would. And I just started to write. And I would also have to say that the other people that are involved in the project, they kind of want to re remain anonymous for a bunch of different reasons. But I have a friend who loves doom metal and who loves funeral doom and that style of music, especially like European bands. Um, so like bands like Shape of Despair, Anathema, you know, you know, bands like that. It just so it just so happened that he was also in a spot where he wasn't playing with his current band very often. And he kind of invited me over to his home where we had a little setup. And that's really where, you know, the you know, the, the songs were born. I mean, I went in with them written for the most part, but we bounced a lot of ideas off of each other. And then, yeah, there you go. I mean, that that's really the inception of the project. And then it actually came together pretty quickly. And we more or less found our engineer, this guy, Adi Pandit, who, uh, you know, lives out in Queens, and he produced a bunch of a Friends records. I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Jotunheim. Um, they're, yeah, they're a great, great, great black metal band. And once I kind of heard his production on their records, I knew that he was going to be the guy to work with. And then really, we just kind of went from there. Now, what would you point to as albums from other bands that you think would appeal to fans viewers? Anything from the early 90s, uh, I, I've been calling this project extreme metal, mostly because I kind of don't want to pigeon, pigeonhole myself into always having to kind of put out the same thing. And look, you know, if you if you think about bands um, in which, you know, you have a principal songwriter, it's almost like they can kind of blend genres together or even play in different bands. And when you hear their playing, it's like, oh, you know, that person. That's kind of what I'm shooting for. So when I when I think about bands from the early 90s, what I hope is you kind of get that funeral doom vibe. So especially bands like My Dying Bride, uh, Paradise Law, Shape of Despair, Evokin, which actually I think is a Jersey band. A, a lot of that material, but also some, some death metal, some death doom. I think when future releases come out, you'll hear a little bit of that sort of um, blackened vibe as well. Um, meaning black metal, not so much the Metallica record. Um, I would definitely cite all of those peaceful bands. Um, and I've, I've also been told too that, you know, if you listen to the slower parts of our music, there is a little bit of a shoegazy kind of vibe at times. Like sometimes if you're listening really sort of intently, you know, a couple of minutes can go by and you might not even sort of notice. So I think that there is a little bit of that in the music as well. The Obelisk debuted the song, The Path Worn Down. What was it about this song that made you pick it as the first one? Yeah, I, because I think it encompasses everything that we, that, that we or I, you know, however you want to phrase it, are sort of going for. You know, if you listen to that song, you know, you're getting the heft. I recorded um, everything really old school. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was still digital. But like, you know, I used my, you know, 1986 uh, JCM 800 you know, Tube Screamer right out front. And that's really it for most of the rhythms. I also uh, am working with another guitar player. And again, like, you know, we're trying to kind of keep things somewhat anonymous. 
And he kind of goes for that more of that sort of like Mesa Boogie kind of sound. And when you kind of put it all together, that's really the sound of the band. So in terms of that song, you know, you've got the heft, you've got the melody and, 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 and lead playing. You've got the keyboards, which I think I think the band really couldn't exist without the synths and the keys and the mellotrons and the strings and all that. But then you also have the kind of like the death metal-y sort of vibe, uh, you know, when you get towards the end of the track and there's some, you know, really sort of heavy stuff in there. So to me, um, while I, obviously I love the other two songs and I love the other material that, you know, we've, we have and we've been working on, that song really encompasses exactly what the, the project is about. You have a three-song EP of music. How far back do these songs go? And were you the main songwriter or should this be viewed as a group effort? Yeah, great question. So um, I would say they go back to pretty much like July and August of 2020. That's when um, I started writing all the riffs. And then that's when I reached out to uh, the drummer who played on the record uh, to see if you know he wanted to sort of jam on the songs. Mm. So that's pretty much how far back they go. Um, now, the, the other question. So that's a, that's a tricky one because on one hand, I don't want to sound too egotistical. Um, I mean, I wrote pretty much every note on the record. I played pretty much all the guitars, all the bass parts, including Fender Bass 6. I played all the keyboards. I wrote the lyrics. Um, so in that sense, I could see why somebody might say that it's almost like a solo project. However, this is a very big however. I know that with all the people that I worked with. So I worked with a vocalist, I worked with another guitar player, a drummer. And then um, I would also say that Adi Pandit was a really important component here because he kind of produced, he engineered, um, he did a lot of really cool stuff for this record. All of those individuals played a part in what the, 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 the band would eventually sound like. Again, I, I don't want to make it seem like we were, you know, sitting together writing all these songs in the same space, you know, with with creative creative ideas for everybody. But all of those people certainly influenced the sound. So, for example, occasionally, like maybe shifting a riff from one from one spot to another, or maybe having a riff go a little bit longer. But I think it would be fair to say that ultimately the band was my 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 vision. Um, so. You know, it's one of those things where when I listen back to what is there, I don't have any regrets about about the music, whereas other bands I've played, in, it's like, ah, oh, like I didn't exactly write that, eh, you know, that could sound better. This record sounds exactly the way that I want it to sound. So in that sense, it, it's very pleasing to me. I kind of prints out, you know, how Prince is often, you know, known for listening to his own music. I shamefully like or without shame, you know, I, I, I like listening to my own song. So whatever that says about me, hopefully nothing too bad. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I, I mean, I, I've done hundreds of interviews by now, and it's just kind of like, you know, you look back on past things you recorded, and you're like, oh, you know, what what was good about this? What was bad about this? Like, sure. um, can I expand on this part, et cetera? So, I mean, yeah, for sure. Perfectly normal. But yeah, um, absolutely. What did you feel was the most ambitious song of the three, and what makes it so? So, you know, in a really funny way, I think the interlude track, the track Judgment, which is, is, is kind of the bridge between the two, uh, I guess you could say, quote unquote, main songs, that one actually made me think the most. And I would say that because it's very non-traditional, right? There are no drums in it. It's really just um, keyboards and guitars. 
So I think for that one, it required Adi and I to really sort of think about, you know, what do we want this to sound like? And then getting a chance after, the, after it was recorded, getting a chance to kind of play around with how it sounded. Because like if, you, if you go and listen to that track, there is something about it that is, again, I, I know I used this word earlier, but like almost like inorganic. It kind of is inorganic in a lot of ways. It's almost mm. like, here is this artistic idea. How much can we mess with this and almost make it sound non-traditional? Um, it's a very eerie track. And it really kind of sets the table for Cruel Death, which ends the record. So um, not to say that the other two songs uh, didn't really didn't really force me the re- and the rest of the band to kind of stretch ourselves. But Judgment in particular did take a good amount of time, even though it's only a few minutes long. Can you tell me what you have planned for the initial uh, live performance? Anything special right. or unique? We have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of ideas about, about the project. I'll be honest, though, that you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to put out a short release, at least one of the reasons, is just to kind of get a a feel for what that process would be like. I'm also kind of interested to see like what people think of it, you know. This project for me is, is really only about the music. That's all I care about. You know, if we never play a show, I don't think it'll bother me that much. It's really only about making music that I want to hear uh, and hopefully people will enjoy it or hate it. I, I, I think I'd rather have those reactions than something lukewarm. Uh, because again, like there are so many death doom bands out there, not as many funeral doom bands, but the market is so saturated with music. The last thing I would want is for it to sound like other people. So whether people love it or hate it, those are good reactions to me. Again, playing live would I do it? Yeah, I would. I think if the circumstances are right, um, I think if, if the vibe is right, if the lineup is right, I think what I want to do is put out the next batch of songs probably this summer. So almost like for some reason I'm blanking. Oh no, I'm not blanking. So if you've ever heard of the band, um, they have that really weird long name. They're an Australian band, uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard and the Wizard Lizard, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, that one. I, yeah. Like I totally butchered their name. Apologies if anybody out there is deeply offended, but um, they're they're awesome because they put out a lot of music, which I know a lot of bands are like afraid to do, but I I like that approach. Like I've got so many songs that kind of fit different moods and fit different vibes that I would love, you know, every six months or every year to put out, you know, three or four songs, even if it's only 20 or 25 minutes of music. So again, why I'm saying this is because I think once we build up a nice repertoire of songs and once we kind of develop a reputation, that's when I would really consider playing out. Because look, it's not that I'm arrogant. Um, at least I hope I'm not coming off that way, but you know, I'm old. So it's like the, the, the thought of kind of going out and playing a local show where, you know, there are three people there and you've got to load because with our band, it's going to require a lot of loading, you know, keyboard player, uh, multiple guitar players, multiple singers, drummer, there's a lot, that, a lot of moving parts. So it's really got to be the right scenario uh, in order for it to work. But ultimately, if people really like the music and I can put a, a great live uh, lineup together, I would definitely do it. So that's, that's kind of the plan. You know, if we can get out a, a more music by like this coming September, that would be awesome. Just out of curiosity, are you a fan of Steak, AKA Steak Number 8, the Belgian band, Pony Killer, or the Michelle Gun Elephant? 
So no, I've actually not heard of those bands. So I, I'm curious, like what 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 that's all about. Like, where do you see that connection with us? Um, it, it's just kind of like trippy type stuff. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Stake, they're um, they were put out originally by Indie Recordings of Norway, the very famous black metal label. Um, Pony Killer, that's Housecore Records. That's uh, oh cool with Colin Yeo of Arson Anthem and the Michelle Gun Elephant. That is one of the most awesome '90s and early 2000s Japanese punk bands. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, I believe they were in a lot of the soundtrack for a Japanese uh, movie called uh, Blue Spring Aoi Haru, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's just um, really kind of like dark, and I guess just type of I don't know wild and trippy type stuff. Well, I can uh, I can definitely see see the recommendation there because I mm-hmm. think it, look you know I don't a lot of bands care about technicality and a mm-hmm. lot of bands care about are people going to look at our music and mm-hmm. say wow I could never play that I don't care about any of that so for me like if you're saying that the, these bands that you're recommending if there's a vibe there to me, that's the most, one of the most important things, especially with my own band, you know, I want there to be a vibe there. So I will definitely check, check those bands out. Like I said before, you know, I, I don't know. I hope I'm not hitting that age where it's like, uh, you know, nothing new is good. I hope I'm not Mm -hmm. there, but you know, it's just funny. Like the way that the industry is now, I can't keep up. Like, I feel like every time I find a new band, like I will, really really listen to that one particular band um and it just seems like there's hundreds of others that follow so uh it's definitely uh you know definitely challenging to sort of keep up but uh, you know one of the things you mentioned though japan one of my favorite bands is boris they are awesome um and i don't necessarily know if anybody would hear that influence at least on on um this uh particular uh, record that we put out but I like the fact that a band like Boris has so many different sounds. Like if I could emulate that in some way where the people that like this band like us because they're not always going to hear the same thing in that sense, you know, Boris is a really, really, really big influence. Can you tell me what the game plan is for the end of the year? Sure. So again, you know, piggybacking off my last, my last answer. uh, I think the goal is to definitely get a, um, get another record out. And, you know, you never know, um, you know, Mountain God uh, did get signed towards the end of its, uh, you know, the end of its, its career. Um, so, I mean, look, if we could find a great label to work with, somebody who would be interest in, interested in doing some PR for us and maybe even putting our music out, that would be really cool, you know, to be able to take whatever we put out at the end of the year and the record now, you know, get that out on vinyl or even cassette, Um I think that would be super cool. So I think we'll, you know, we'll work our way towards that. And again, like it really all depends on whether people like it, you know, I'm not going to shove this down anybody's throat. I'm not doing this so that I can quit my my day job. You know, this is really uh, a a passion project. Um, I just love to write music. So if I'm doing that, then it's a success. Can you tell me, um, what your three most cherished albums are in your music collection? Yeah, so mm. this is almost an impossible question, Nick. I mean, uh, I, I I could definitely tell you. I'll give you 
I'll I'll give you records that to me are are definitely important, like almost like you know des- desert island kinds of records. I would say my favorite current band is Dragged into Sunlight. They are just an amazing band and uh, Hatred for Mankind. That's one of those records that I would pick that one because they blend so many different sounds together. Like if I'm in a punk mood or if I'm in a doom mood or in a black metal mood or a death metal mood, I feel like somehow that band has managed to take all of those sounds and kind of like make it their own. So that record is really, for me, like especially in the last decade, that is really at the top. Um, I also love um, Typo Negative and October Rust. I mean, it's such a great soundtrack uh, if you're in a bad mood, <laughs> you know? So I, I really, I really, really, really enjoy that record. In terms of the third, I feel like I have to be cliche here um, and I have to dive into it. Uh, Slayer, you know, Rain and Blood. I feel like that record is just so unbelievably timeless that I really just don't ever really get sick of listening to it. So while there are a lot of other, uh, you know, records that I enjoy, I would say, especially me in the last decade, I would say those three records. What is your favorite urban legend or ghost story from New Jersey? So I am not from Jersey, but the very first thing that I think of when, when you ask that question is, uh, did you ever, you ever watch like uh, the X-Files growing up? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw some episodes. Oh, yes, yeah. so I love that show. And there was like, I think it's like the first season or maybe the second, second season, um, you know, the, they, the, the story of like the Jersey Devil. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever heard that, which is like yeah. absolute classic, right? So, I mean, now the show like really took that and spun on its end because again, like you might even know this better than me, but I think the Jersey Devil was supposed to be some kind of creature, like some kind of like mythological creature that lived out in the woods near AC. Um, almost like the area where- the Pine people- Barrens. Exactly, which also, by the way, um, if you want to talk about Jersey, is pretty much my favorite Sopranos episode where, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Christopher Moltisanti and Paulie Walnuts bring the Russian dude out into the woods and are supposed to get rid of him. And he manages to sort of get away. Great episode. But yeah, so like, I guess that's the spot right near AC. And I know in the X-Files episode, they kind of took that and spun it on its head a little bit. And there was almost like these, I don't know what you would sort of call it, not Neanderthals per se, but like almost like this, these ancient humans that somehow sort of developed in the woods over there. And, uh, you know, they would actually like eat people and, and stuff like that. So I would say of, of, of all the Jersey sort of legends, despite me not being from there, I think that's the one that pops into my head. You know, maybe we'll write some songs about it. Who knows? <laughs> Though I don't yeah. know if that would fit a funeral doom vibe unless, uh, you know, unless the Jersey Devil is very sad and miserable. <laughs> if it is, then I guess it would fit. I don't know. Like thinking about Atlanta County, the, the one thing that always, always makes me uh, think hard, when am I getting to go to uh, White House subs on Arctic Ave and getting was, myself I, a meatball sub? Yeah, so I don't really know. I don't know a ton about that. I do like Okay, well, check it though. out. White House subs was opened up in 1946 or 47 by a World War II veteran, and it's been a legendary place that, like, if you go to Atlantic City, everybody knows that place. Everybody. Nice. And um, it's kind of like, you know, you pretty much, it's like maybe a, 
a 10 or $15 sub, but I mean, it's like about the size of three to four subs. Oh, nice. And it's just like, you know, you have to go there. If you're going to venture totally. into Atlantic City, hit that up at least for totally. one sub. So, or maybe if you're wild, <laughs> right. come back with 10. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, maybe a little bit of a Jersey devil hunt and then, you know, you can reward yourself at the end with, with a sub. I'm half Italian. So yeah. you definitely speak in my language. Believe me, I've eaten many a meatball sub in my life. So that sounds awesome. And I'll, again, like, uh, I love your recommendation on some of those bands to check out. And then, yeah, I love food. Oh, and by so. the way, remember to get yourself some green peppers and onions on your meatball sub. Cause like that way you get the feel of a, like a cheesesteak with the meatball sub. Like I remember being hungry for both and I was like, how do I combine them? Yeah, sounds great. I mean, sausage and peppers as well is a great, uh, a great uh, sandwich. So it's almost like, again, you're blending those two worlds together. So Definitely. sounds delicious. Would you like to go back to any questions? Um, no, I guess the only other thing that I would say, I didn't, you know, I'd love to shout out some other um you know, some other bands uh, that had an, a little bit of an influence. So like, if you like, especially some of the faster, heavier parts of our music, I have very much been into uh, uh, bands like Spectral Voice, like sort of that, that sort of modern sort of death doom kind of sound. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the band's name, but um, I don't know if it's Mortiferum or Mortiferum. They're amazing. I believe they're a Pacific Northwest band. I've been listening to a ton of those two bands um, along with Dragon into Sunlight. So, you know, the more extreme uh, the music to me, the better. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I, I'm glad I got, got to shout out those bands. But other than that, um, I feel like, you know, I hope that, um, you know, we, I gave you a, your listeners a chance to understand our band better. Um, and hopefully, like I said, you know, hopefully people really enjoy it and can vibe to it. So. Now, do you have a, a physical release for the uh, demo yet? No. So I, Again, I think the plan will be uh, whenever we put out our next record, I think the plan will be to have something physical. But, you know, if I'm just being honest, I think in terms of being like an indie band um, and kind of having to support ourselves, I think we need to get a sense of what the market is going to kind of look like for our music, you know, because the last thing that we would want is to put a ton of money into something that people aren't going to buy. So, again, you know, I, I know I, uh, I had mentioned something about this earlier. It's just to me, all that matters is the music. So if people are streaming it, um, that's fine. And if there is, you know, a, a kind of cry for it, then we'll sort of know, okay, like this, this is going to be a little bit more serious than just, mm. you know, streaming music and such. And in that case, um, I mean, totally like we don't even need a record company in that sense. Um, you know, as long as we have, you know, somebody like a good PR person, I think uh, physical releases would be really cool. My wife is the one who did all of the cover art and, and back art. Um, and even like the guys in my band were saying, like, it's almost like a shame not to make some kind of physical copy. Because, again, if you if, if you check out the uh, the front and back cover, the photos were taken at um, Untermeyer Gardens which is really famous in the suburbs in Yonkers because that's where, um, that's where the son of Sam lived. Mm. So um, there was all kinds of weird stuff happening in that park, um, you know, back in the seventies, like all kinds of like weird, like 
uh, cult behavior. A lot of the places where people used to hang out, um, they got shut down. But there is a really like odd feeling at that place. So my wife and I were walking through and I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely where the art's going to be from. So, so like I said, even if we just put out a physical just so that somebody could have that those images uh, in like really like high, you know, nice resolution and stuff. Uh, yeah, we would love to do that. Final words. Um, just thank you. You know, I really appreciate it. It's really kind that, you know, you would uh, take your time to to learn more about the band and I know that, you know, you've uh, interviewed so many great artists um, that I think uh, it's a real honor. It's a real privilege to, you know, get a chance to talk to you. And like I said, I'm just really, uh, really thankful because in these days, it's so hard to get music out there. It's just so unbelievably difficult. Um, so if a couple of people, you know, listen to this and want to listen to the music, you know, all the credit to you, you know, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been an interview on Sunday, February 27th, 2022 with In This House of Mornings, Ben Iannuzzi by Nick Perkel.